Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello dear listener and welcome back to Owning It the Anxiety Podcast. We're in season six now and I am your host Caroline Foran. This episode I'm joined by someone very accomplished. I mean that's probably putting it lightly. It's Dr. Emeryn A. Mayer. He is the author of a book called, I'm sure you know it, The Gut Brain Connection. It's a worldwide international bestseller. It is probably the most quoted and most sold book on the subject of gut health and mental health and he is the director for the center of neurobiology of stress and resilience in ucla he is a professor of medicine physiology and psychiatry he's a neuroscientist he's a gastroenterologist i don't know how many strings you can have to one bow (laughs) but he has them all and he is the man to talk to about how our gut health influences our anxiety and how our anxiety influences our gut health and this is really interesting for me because as you know if you've been listening to me uh, my anxiety long long before I ever identified it as anxiety would manifest with very debilitating gut issues I was diagnosed with IBS all these different things and I know a lot of my listeners are in the same boat or have been in the same boat so really excited to chat to him and I have so many questions but only so much time so hopefully we'll get through as much as we can and I hope that you enjoy it and take something from it as always thank you so much for listening for for sharing with with anyone that you think might find it helpful for your reviews and your feedback and yeah enjoy and I will be on to you next time Dr. Emerin Mayer, thank you so much for joining me. It's morning where you are. It's evening time here. I so appreciate that you're making the time because you were so busy. You're about to launch your next book. Can you start by telling us a little bit about that? Um, yeah, so, you know, it's my second book. I mean, the first one was called The Mind-Gut Connection. Um, it came out at a time when this concept that uh, microbes in our gut can communicate with the brain and the brain can communicate with the microbes. So focused on this, um, the early stage of that, that area. And I put in a lot of autobiographical stuff for my career because I have pursued the topic of brain gut interactions 
uh, all my life, uh, all, not all my life, all my academic life, I should say. And um, so the second book, um, five years later, um, in kind of builds on the basic concept that there's this communication between um, the gut, its microbes, the brain uh, regulating many brain functions, influencing brain structure, but it goes further. It puts a lot of emphasis on, um, on diet, what role diet plays in influencing the microbes to uh, communicate um, with the immune system and through this immune system interaction influences the, the brain and you know, emotions and um, cognition. And then it takes another step further that um, there's also microbes. There's not just microbes in our, in our gut, but there's microbes in the soil. Um, and I found it fascinating to see how similar the, the principle is how important the microbes in the soil are for plant health um, um, compared to how important the gut microbes are for our health and, and uh, brain health. So it goes from the gut all the way to, um, um, to the soil, to the environment, and ultimately to uh, the planet and climate change. So it's, it's a wide, um, it's, it's an extension of the initial focus just on the gut, you know, it goes beyond. The title of this book that's coming out now is? It's The Gut Immune Connection. Oh, yes. It's, it sounds brilliant. I want to dive in, if we can, to a little bit of the, the first book, The Gut-Brain Connection. Among the many strings to your bow, you're a professor of medicine, you're executive director at the UCLA Center for Neurobiology on Stress and Resilience, and then you're, you're, you're listed on Google as both a gastroenterologist and a neuroscientist. And I've talked to lots of neuroscientists and I've talked to lots of gastroenterologists, but rarely have I found the two overlap. Are there many people who cover both disciplines or is it quite a niche area? So there's this new entity, you know, this new um, term, neurogastroenterology. Um, and, you know, some people really meet that uh, description um, in, in terms of being, you know, experts in neuroscience and um, experimental neuroscience and clinical gastroenterology. There's a, there's a few, probably less than a handful. Um, but then there's a growing number of people who are really interested in this uh, communication between the, the central nervous system and the enteric nervous system. So the nervous system we have in our gut um, and, uh, and gut function as it applies to the so-called you know, functional gastrointestinal disorders like irritable bowel syndrome. Mm -hmm. um, but, but, but that is sort of expanding now into other areas, you know, like in inflammatory bowel disease and in uh, cognitive decline and so many other, you know, Parkinson's disease. So neurogastroenterology is really a new field that um, is sort of a tent for people that are interested in these interactions. Yeah. You mentioned there a nervous system within the gut. Uh, this is kind of mind-blowing to me. So we have our nervous system in our body and then there's a separate nervous system in the gut is that right it's you know nothing is really separate in 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 our bodies and in in our nervous system regulation it is considered as part of the autonomic nervous system so we have a, a central nervous system which is the brain and the spinal cord and then we have an autonomic nervous system 
which is the sympathetic and parasympathetic, the vagus nerve, um, and the enteric nervous system, the little brain in the gut, is considered part of that autonomic nervous system. And, you know, it's kind of interesting. There was a book uh, that came out many years ago calling the, the brain in the gut the, the second brain. But in reality, so in reality, it's, it, it's really been there before we had our, um, our, our big brain, because in evolution, it started out with really primitive little marine animals that were simply a digestive tube floating around in the ocean. And the tube was surrounded by a net of nerves, of interconnected nerves, and that essentially regulated the behavior of this digestive tube. And later in evolution, out of this very close interconnected uh, nerve net and GI tract precursors um, became the central nervous system, our, our brain. So many of the the design principles, the, the, the neurotransmitters from this initial gut brain were transferred to, um, to the big brain. So they're very closely related to each other. Okay, so you don't, you don't necessarily subscribe to the idea that it's the second brain. Well, if you look at evolutionary terms, I think it's the first term. Yeah, um, okay, yeah, fair enough. In terms of importance for us humans, I think they're equally important without the gut brain um, we wouldn't really be able to function and we would have no digestive system. Um, but obviously, if we didn't have our big brain, you know, we, we couldn't function either. So, yeah. And, and when was the relationship between the gut and the brain first discovered? Because I, I mean, I'm sure it goes way beyond my experience of when when I was younger, my what I now know was, you know, anxiety and stress always manifesting as as gut issues. And I always was told it was just my stomach and I had different things going on with my stomach. There was no awareness. This is even 20 years ago in like just regular day-to-day GP situations or just public discourse. There was so little awareness of the link between the gut and the brain. And, you know, it was just, they were seen as completely separate entities. And if you had tummy troubles, you kind of looked at that in isolation. So when was that relationship first discovered and when do you think it really started to come into kind of public consciousness? Well, I can tell you from my own career, you know, um, I've been interested, I mean, this is, you know, the main reason that I went into gastroenterology because I was always fascinated by this brain-body interaction. And I found that in patients with gastrointestinal problems, that was the most obvious situation that I, you know, you almost can't find a, a, a patient with, um, with gut issues that does not have a low-grade um, increased level of anxiety. Um, and in more severe cases, it, it can actually, you know, become pretty, um, uh, you know, pretty s- severe so-called psychiatric comorbidity. So this was... Um, you know, I got interested in this in the, believe it or not, in, in the late 70s. And um, I was a pretty lone fighter in this, in this area. So that, that concept of brain-gut interactions was, as, as you experienced yourself, was really not taken serious. Um, it was very hard to get papers published. Uh, there was no interest at meetings, um, you know, the great majority. And, and patients as well, you know, patients... Um, 
they many of them experienced it, but they were afraid if they acknowledged it, this relationship between, between emotions and the gut, then they wouldn't be taken, then the gut problems wouldn't be taken serious by their physicians, which which was the case. You know, um, mm. I always say this examples, still remember is like yesterday, um, attending a meeting, um, one of our big GI uh, annual GI meetings, Digestive Disease Week, and one of the most prominent uh, gastroenterologists in this area got up and uh, so one said, irritable bowel syndrome doesn't really exist. It's an imagined problem. And another one got up, equally prominent person, that said, this is just a hysteria of neurotic housewives. And um, so I'll never forget that. I mean, I wish I had recorded it. These people are still around. Wow. <laughs> like confront them today with it. So... But but then there were beginnings, you know, there were people like Douglas Drossman, um, Mike Gershon, a scientist, Drossman is a clinician who found that as an important area. And um, it, it, it has exploded in the last, you know, 10 years. And it's still, the interest and, and enthusiasm is still accelerating. It's almost like exponential that now people talk about gut health and how closely it's, it's related to, to emotions. And um, I think what has helped in some ways is the discovery of the gut microbiome, because now, um, you know, and there were these, these early uh, experiments that showed that microbes in mouse models could influence emotional behavior in, 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 in mice. And that um, I, I think this made it easier for or more attractive for many of my colleagues, but also for some patients to say, um, it's not just in my mind, it's the microbes in my gut that influence, um, you know, my anxiety level. Yeah, it's uh, something you can put your finger on and, you know, it's yeah. something tangible that helps you to contextualize what you're going through. And I think that's what everyone who experiences anxiety and difficulties, whether it's their gut or anxiety about the gut, people need that to latch on to, to, so that they don't feel like they're just, like you say, it's not an imagined thing. Our focus with this podcast is, is always anxiety, but I'm curious, I'd love to ask you, in your experience, what is more common? Is it gut issues causing anxiety or anxiety causing gut issues? I know I know the gut brain access or the gut brain connection is bi-directional, but like, is there one direction that's stronger than the other? I wouldn't say that. You know, I, I think it is really the way I look at it. And and, and I have changed the, the nomenclature of this to brain gut microbiome system. Okay. The system is a complex system that is characterized by multiple parts that are interconnected um, in, in both directions. You know, so that, that kind of... Now, if you ask me, you know, what comes first... I've spent a, long, a, a big part of my career studying um, like the influence, uh, uh, the influence of early life adversity um, on, <clears throat> on the development of the stress system. And there's an extensive literature, obviously, on that topic, um, which you can't ignore. So there's, 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 there's clearly a lot of evidence, that scientific evidence in neuroscience, psychiatry, that... Um, the, the stress response system is programmed early in life. You know, it's been in humans first 18 years of life or so. And once that is, is, is programmed, uh, you either somebody with an increased responsiveness to stressful events around you, 
um, and the salience that your brain attributes to events around you. So um, is this important? This is potentially threatening to my body's, you know, balance, homeostasis. Um, and, and once this is established, um, it doesn't stay in the, in, the, in the brain. So that's the mistake that we made early on. You know, we focus so much on the brain and then the autonomic nervous system, the, 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 the stress system, uh, talking back to, to talking down to the gut and uh, altering contractions, peristalsis, secretion, blood flow. Essentially, any gut function can be mod modulated by the, the brain. And during stress, during acute stress, it's one pattern. During anxiety, it's another pattern. During anger, it's, it's another pattern. So the, the, the gut is kind of a mirror image in many ways in, in its biology of the emotional um, uh, events that, that are processed by the, by the brain. And then um, now we have the microbes being part of this and the microbes are influenced um, you know, very strongly by these influences from the brain and the microbes don't just sit there and um, you know, are being manipulated by the brain, but they, they produce um, many chemicals, molecules, that um, that either talk to the gut, to the the the, the gut-based enteric the enteric nervous system, uh, or these um, signals go into the bloodstream and feed back to the brain and reinforce, you know, the altered brain um, stress system. So I, I think if you ask me right now, I mean, this could always, as a scientist, you're always open to that your own hypotheses are being refuted. And I've done this many times in my career. It's quite possible that in 10, 20 years, we think about this differently, but I think right now, the data are most consistent with that model that I um, talked to you about. That, um, and you know, I, I see this in my, in my patients. If I take a detailed history, I always go back to um, you know, what happens before you, your GI symptoms started and, um, I, I can almost always um, find out there was something going on early in life in, in, in terms of um, increased anxiety levels, increased stress responsiveness, um, sometimes a history of non-GI symptoms, you know, panic attacks. Um, and, and, and you may have experienced that yourself. Um, it doesn't have to be from the beginning a, a gut problem. It can be in, in the beginning something, um, you know, it could be a colicky baby history. That, that's another one. And then um, as, as life goes on, it, it manifests more at the gut level. Yeah. I'd love to just tell you a little bit about my experience to get your, your expert input. So when I was a teenager, it really kicked off for me. And I just one summer started to have so many gut issues. And I wouldn't have been aware of any anxiety in my mind or anything cognitive that was affecting me until the gut issues became such a problem that they were making me anxious because I couldn't leave the house without planning, you know, where is the bathroom? I was afraid to go anywhere in case I had an upset stomach. And it was, that was the way it was for so long. I was just consumed by these gut issues, trying to figure it out, knowing that, well, for so long, there was just no answer. Eventually, I was told through testing, I had lactose intolerance. That helped things a little bit. And I think maybe it didn't even make much of a difference 
but just mentally being told oh there's this like a a placebo effect almost I think of just taking away the dairy made me relax because I felt like it's not my fault there is something here and this makes sense you know I wasn't just imagining it and that 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 helped me um, psychologically I suppose and then when I was it kind of settled down in my early 20s and then in my mid-20s what brought me to this whole podcast was I had a really severe experience with anxiety, but it started again with like really chronic gut issues. And it was like the way I explain it now to people is that that was, I guess, the vehicle through which my body was communicating with me that not everything was OK. And that's the only way I would listen was through these gut issues. And it got worse and worse to the point that I was doubled over in discomfort. And I kind of knew at that stage oh, like this kind of mirrors what's like, there's a lot of upheaval in your life. So maybe they're, maybe they're not completely separate. And eventually the gut issues completely settled and it just turned into such crippling anxiety where it was just panic attacks. And just, it was like the gut had done its job trying to communicate with me now that I was hearing it, it was just full-blown anxiety. And so now I've, you know, ever since been, I just went back then thinking, God, my whole teenage life or as a kid being told I had a sensitive stomach, it was probably always my nervous disposition. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this is a very, you know, very characteristic description that you just gave. Um, I I hear this from many of my patients and um, I I, I think um, the explanation, a good explanation by by an expert, you know, by a gastroenterologist who is well versed and well trained in this, is is always therapeutic. You know, I I think um, it's probably the most important part of a um, if if you as a, a patient with such symptoms consult a physician, if if that individual can give you an an accurate model that that uh, incorporates all your own personal experiences. Um, that, that alone is is therapeutic. I've seen this many times that, that people say even after one encounter, one hour encounter, you know, in 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 my office, they say if if I had had this meeting ten years ago, it my life would have gone different. You know, so just just knowing that this is a real thing, we know the science behind it now, um, and the science has been refined. Um, I, I think just as sort of another way of, of uh, reinforcing this, how closely connected this brain gut microbiome system is. Um, the um, so the, I mean, the gut and the nervous system from the earliest time in evolution, you know, were the two organs in the, the two systems in our in in in, in the body of, of of animals and humans and. Um, with the two systems who are the most closely connected. You know, it's not a coincidence that that gut issues and emotional issues co-occur in the same um, patient uh, characteristically. It's It has to be that way because, you know, this has been the most intimate relationship between the nervous system and the gut for millions of years. Um, and uh, that, that has, you know, continued in evolution, uh, what has happened is that ultimately the, the 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 enteric nervous system or the you know the brain of the gut um, uh, was 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 relegated to just regulate the gut um, um, functions, whereas the newly developing central nervous system, the brain, uh, took over all the other functions of regulating the the organism. But the close interaction between the gut, its own nervous system, and the brain 
has remained. And um, I, I would say if we could look inside, you know, um, I mean, we can't do this right now other than with endoscopy. But if you could look inside um, that any, um, any emotions that you experience and that, for example, I, I always use this example that I can see on your facial expression. I, I always look very closely at people's facial ex expressions and which are a mirror to, to this person's emotions. So regardless if that individual is aware of them or not, but that same sort of facial expression happens at the gut level. You know, the gut expresses this at the same level. And um, probably, in, you know, this happens in everybody, in, in healthy people. But if that system is more reactive and more sensitive, then you get exaggerated uh, responses of the gut. Um, and something also kicks in the the, the innovation of the gut by the by the sensory nervous system that reports that back to the brain um, become it this becomes more sensitive. So we've done many studies, and I think it's sort of considered uh, you know uh, un, un, uh, um, uncontested um, you know scientific view that the the sensory innovation of the gut plays a big role. So symptoms like bloating and and, and gas and discomfort and um, even pain have a lot to do with the increased sensitivity of this nervous uh, connection between between the gut and the and the and the brain. The brain can amplify those sensations. Um, so yeah, whenever I give this explanation to to patients, there's such a relief. Yeah, they, you know, they, they, so they often ask me, so what what can I tell my 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 friends at the next time you know I interact with my friends. What what do I have? And um, I said, well, you know, you you can tell them exactly this brain gut model. Um, and now that this has sort of been destigmatized, and a, a lot of people read it and heard about it, I think it's it's easier for for patients to to explain that to others. You know that their gut health or their brain gut interactions are are just are altered okay how would you like to look five years younger in a clinical study people that had volume added with juvederm voluma xc in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment look younger feel like you add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with juvederm voluma xc Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. 
Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at UH1.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. So I think we all can relate to the feeling of, you know, the gut feeling or the nervous tummy when you know, you have a highly anxious moment, like before you get up to do a presentation, we all, you know, we're not hungry. We feel, you know, an upset tummy. But I'm curious to ask you what actually happens in the gut in those moments. And for for my experience, it was more a case of, you know, it wasn't one isolated moment of, of high stress. It was prolonged stress that started, I guess, to, does that like change your gut over time? So what happens in those highly anxious moments and what happens to our gut when we experience prolonged stress, what actually changes? Yeah, so with the with the acute stress, and that's something that you know almost everybody has. I mean, this um, um, you know butterflies in the in 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 the stomach, or however you want to describe it. As you said, before giving a, a you know a talk, or uh, even before writing an exam, or I mean that happens in in positive and negative situations. Positive, you know, out on your first date, you fall in love. I mean, there's there's many situations where you get that same kind of feeling. And um, th- this is essentially a, um, a situation where the, your, uh, the arousal system in your brainstem kicks in and it sends signals from the brainstem, uh, you know, all the way to all parts of your uh, cortex, uh, all parts of your brain to the emotional system and temporarily upregulates it just because it's a, it's a, it's a new situation. It's something that um, you're leaving your steady state, you know, for even if just for a few seconds. And in response to that, the, the brain and the, the arousal system also send signals down to the gut and the gut will, uh, you know, contract. There will be a change in blood flow to the gut. The sensitivity will increase so your your stomach will become more sensitive to contractions, um, and and this typically goes away could go away within seconds or within within minutes, and it's not it's not really a problem, you know it's it's a normal state. What you describe with the chronic stress that that's something that's something else that, um, you know, chronic stress essentially changing. Um, the, the the way that the that the stomach and the gut so often it it goes, I mean some people that manifest mainly in stomach sensations, uh, not in the stomach or, um, you know cramps in the stomach. In other people it uh, it it manifests as um, crampy pain in the lower part of usually in the in the left lower part of the belly. Um, where the the end of the you know so-called sigmoid colon is, because that part is so the two parts of your GI tract that are most strongly influenced by your brain or by emotional signals is the stomach and the sigmoid colon. So the two ends essentially of the GI tract, the, the one at the beginning and the one at 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 the end, 
And this is because innovation is the strongest in those areas. And there's many different, many studies, you know, both in animals, but also in many in, in, in humans. If you stress an individual or show some disturbing images, that these two parts of your GI tract will um, show exaggerated contractions. Um, and, and, and there have been studies with patients that had a gastric fistula. That means there was a really famous patient um, in, in the 19th century um, that, that had a surgical, you know, I mean, don't want to get into the details of this, but they, they had an opening in the stomach to the outside that somebody could actually observe what happens to the, to the lining of the stomach. And they could see that under stress, there was a, a decrease in, in, the, in the blood flow to the stomach. So it became pale, the, the, the lining of the stomach became pale before it was kind of, you know, uh, pink color. So it's like all, all the activities in, in, in those two areas, the sigmoid and, and, and the stomach will, will change in the functions. And once this becomes a, a pattern, this is when you have, you know, the uh, chronic stress or the chronic anxiety. It doesn't switch back to its normal um, baseline uh, f- uh, function. And if this if this lasts for a while, then it also changes um, the microbes that live there. So, you know, the gut is the home or the, the environment or the habitat of our microbes. So in, if, in the large intestine, in the sigmoid colon, if, um, if there's this chronic stress or anxiety-induced change in blood flow and contractions and secretions, then this changes the microbes as well. And then... The microbes produce different signals, and that's probably one of the reasons why um, you, you get a more chronic problem, because now you have a whole chemical machinery from the microbes that contribute to this, to this disturbance that you have with an acute stress. Okay. So th- that sounds very much like stress impacting the microbiome and the gut, but there's obviously scenarios where someone has a very tangible good issue like celiac disease or something where they're going to be having all these difficulties in their GI tract and and because it's so difficult and so debilitating they're anxious about it and now with so much awareness about anxiety and about mental health is there a tendency to blame anxiety when there might be a very real good issue that if if you address that good issue and if you solve that a lot of the anxiety would go away no, this is, uh, this is a very important point. So there's an entity called symptom-related or gut-related anxiety that um, is specifically, as you described, related to the, to the GI symptoms. And, and again, uh, you know, people that have a lot of, so let's say take people with celiac disease or um, inflammatory bowel disease, ulcerative colitis, we, we're currently doing studies on that particular topic, then there's a subgroup of patients who have this increased um, symptom-related anxiety. So whenever they, uh, you know, they, they feel something, they feel the cramps, um, they, um, you know, people with, so many people are uh, worried about uh, uncontrollable diarrhea that, you know, for example, a professional, a lawyer, um, a teacher, uh, who, the, the, you know, the minute, so let's say, you know, a professional with inflammatory bowel disease. Um, so whenever that individual comes in a situation that 
he or she um, has to go to to give a lecture, to uh, performing, to to testify in court, then immediately this anxiety, this gut specific gut related anxiety, kicks in about um, am I going to have to, you know. Um, can I control my my urge to have a bowel movement? Um, what happens if 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 I can't control it? Um, this this also happens, you know, with some people when they go to a restaurant that they're not familiar with and have a business meeting. If they don't know where the bathroom is, they're going to worry the whole time driving to that restaurant. Um, am I going to be close enough to a bathroom in case you know I, I have I have diarrhea? So this is a this is a whole um, a very gut specific form of anxiety that um, that can exist without the more generalized pattern of you know of an anxiety disorder and it's it, it is very common and typically when the gut symptoms are controlled so you know if that individual takes um, like an anti diarrheal medication before that event and knows for sure that this will control the diarrhea, then they won't have the anxiety. You know, they, they mm-hmm. go into a meeting with that. So this is a very important part that it doesn't have to be free floating anxiety or anxiety about something else in life um, or general anxiety disorder. It can be very specific um, to gut symptoms. And some, some of these uh, unfortunate people had I mean, one episode of um, incontinence is sufficient to to trigger that. You know, to, uh, just one one episode is enough. The memory could have been so embarrassing um, that that every time that situation is could potentially happen, it will trigger the the, the anxiety, and it will go away with an effective treatment of the gut uh, problem. Okay. And for, for general anxiety or, yeah, I suppose not specifically gut issue anxiety, but general anxiety, would gut issues be the most common physical manifestation of that anxiety that you come across? Um, you know, as a gastroenterologist, yeah. So the patients that come to see me, you know, will yeah, come I guess. With doctor. but then, you know, like in, in panic disorders, uh, another form of anxiety disorders, it's the breathing, you know, an, an altered respiratory pattern that can trigger it. Um, in some people, uh, you know, like in cardiology, there's a syndrome, um, non-cardiac chest pain can be indistinguishable from a heart attack. Yeah. Um, but it's it's a very similar um you know, mechanisms, so th- these mechanisms I explained to you for the gut um, can occur, you know, for other organs, the same for the bladder, for the urinary bladder, you know, there's uh, these syndromes like uh, interstitial cystitis, um, or these functional urinary symptoms. Uh, I would say overall, the most complex and uh, the most common is um, are the gut issues. And, and that's because what we talked about earlier, that close connection of the nervous system in evolution with our gut um, and the this bidirectional interaction um, of the gut, the, the, the gut-based nervous system, the microbes and, and the brain, that, that kind of complexity does not exist for any other organ. So it, it is the most common um, connection. And I would say, <clears throat> 
you know, I can often, I mean, when I take a detailed history and of patients with gut issues, many of them report these other um, areas as well, that at some point they had panic attacks, at some point they had uh, the bladder symptoms, and um, they may have disappeared, but the gut symptoms are almost always there, you know, so... Yeah. Okay. So I want to ask you about taking heed of all of the the research and the science and the confirmation of this gut brain axis, what we can then do about it? Because I mean, it sounds like such a complex system that it's it it doesn't sound like something we can really influence ourselves. If you talk about especially like early childhood experiences having you know shaping this microbiome and shaping our our, our the way we're going to respond to things in life, but. To begin with, I mean, I'm always talking about how, how knowledge is power. And for me, understanding my anxiety is already kind of half the battle. And just knowing that it makes sense takes away a lot of the anxiety. So for, for your patients, when they understand and become aware of the gut-brain connection, does that already help to calm both the gut symptoms and the anxiety associated? Um, yes, it does. I mean, overall, you know, the 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 treatment approach, so one is the explanation, so the, the, the cognitive uh, re- restructuring that, you know, people feel they know what's happening and giving them, giving them a sense of control of uh, self-efficacy uh, is is really important. So the 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 good thing, well, let's start with with the with, with the bad part of the story. The bad part is yes, there's a lot of programming early in life, you know, and that starts in utero. Uh, has to do with also it's dependent on your on your genetic background, your family history. Um, so many of these things are have happened by the time you're a teenager um, and and you deal with these symptoms. The good news is that we humans have the ability because we have such a you know um, developed prefrontal cortex, we we can control many of these processes through insight through learning through learning techniques to cognitive restructuring, um, you know, cognitive behavioral therapies is, is, is one way of doing this. So this is the good news. We, we're not victims of what happened to us early on in life. Um, so, you know, there's many things that can go wrong early in life. I mean, from um, a wrong programming of the gut microbiome because, um, uh, you know, um, being a C-section baby, not being um, not being breastfed, um, being uh, having a mother that's very stressed during pregnancy. So there's many factors, you know, that, um, that 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 happen early in life that we now know affect the brain gut microbiome system. But there's very good evidence that um, just just starting with the brain. You know, I mentioned um, cognitive behavioral therapy, where we essentially um, change the way the brain calculates the, the threat appraisal um, and that ultimately affects, uh, t- tunes down the stress responsiveness. Uh, so we know the mechanisms, you know, we've done brain imaging studies. We know this cognitive behavioral therapy can even change the gut microbes in a beneficial way. Um, and, and then there's easier techniques, you know, there's, um, um, diaphragmatic breathing, probably the, the, the simplest and one of the most effective ways. If you are good, if, if you learn how to do this on a regular basis, to breathe um, mainly with your diaphragm, not with your chest, um, and into your belly, then you essentially 
take advantage of um, you being able to influence directly the signals that go from your diaphragm through the vagus nerve back into your stress system within the brain. And um, for, for the brain, it's incompatible to be stressed and relaxed. So if you get really good in doing these breathing exercises, you, you will be able to influence the, the brain response to stressors. So that's a simple one everybody can do. You can do it anywhere in the car, at work. So, so things like cognitive behavioral therapy, which I, I found brilliant for, I guess, just working on the thoughts and the feelings and behaviors and the cognitive side of things. But how important is it to, you know, look at our microbiome? So it's not something that's set in stone or, or you know, we're not sentenced to a, a specific microbiome for the rest of our lives. Is it possible to influence our microbiome by, you know, becoming aware of, of our microbiome and the gut connection? Uh, yes. So, so as uh, as we said, you know, the microbiome gets signals from from the brain. Um, there's um, receptors on many microbes that respond to norepinephrine, the uh, stress mediator. Um, so, just having better control about the the emotional output of the brain to the gut um, will change the information that the the signals that the microbes get. So we know, for example, chronic stress will decrease certain population of microbes, bifidobacteria, and um, that through a complex um, series of events will lead to the generation of um, of of signaling molecules, neuroactive signaling molecules, that um, that feed back to the uh, to the brain. And um, so, if 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 you can attenuate that chronic stress, you will prevent that your microbiome changes in a particular way. And also, you change the products the microbes produce that feed back to to uh, to your brain. Uh, <clears throat> on the other hand, diet clearly, you know, is a major way we can influence our, our uh, microbes. And this is where there's sort of, um, you know, some controversy or in, or in my opinion, I'm, I'm kind of an outlier of my recommendations. I think okay. there's only one, there's only one diet that is optimal for your gut microbiome. And that is a, a largely plant-based diet. Not doesn't have to be vegan or vegetarian, but you know, predominantly plant-based because that will, will that's what your microbes thrive on. I mean, that's okay. their food. And in response to that diet, they will produce a lot of these beneficial molecules like short chain fatty acids, butyrate, which have a, uh, an anti-inflammatory effect on the gut, on, on, on your body, and which also, um, you know, have, have have many beneficial effects on the whole brain gut microbiome, brain gut axis. So, starting out with such a diet, you know, there's the traditional Mediterranean diet. There's also other Asian diets that have kind of a similar composition. Um, you know, fewer animal-based products, um, very little or no red meat, um, more fish and um, but most importantly, lots of fruits and vegetables. So you start out, this is what I do with my patients. I start out with this kind of dietary recommendation. Then I ask patients to keep a diary. And if they notice that, that any component of this diet, you know, be it, uh, broccoli or beans or, 
or peas, um, uh, you know, or artichokes, give them consistently more symptoms of bloating or pain or, or cramps, um, then I recommend to avoid that particular component for a couple of weeks. Keep on monitoring the symptoms. If the symptoms are not affected by this, um, uh, by this elimination of this one food component, then that food component was not the cause of it. You know, then they can go back. If, however, they notice that it's specifically this food, if they avoid it, they have less symptoms, then they should avoid this food in the future. So they, they create, they're empowered to create their own individualized diet, which is okay. still largely plant-based, but it, you take out the things. So the things that most people will take out is dairy products, unless they're fermented. Um, and that's a natural because as uh, adult humans lose the ability to break down so they don't have this, um, the enzyme. Uh, this enzyme lactase, you know, it's mm -hmm. as, 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 as humans were meant to use milk as infants, but not as adults. So, um, but often fermented products like cheeses or, you know, yogurts, a kefir, or, uh, you know, do not have that negative effect, but I would always tell people to pay attention to that particular item uh, and definitely avoid non-fermented dairy products. Okay. And can I ask you about probiotics? So like if, if prolonged stress, which a lot of my listeners are dealing with, or, you know, chronic anxiety are obliterating colonies of bacteria that they need to have a healthy microbiome, would diet alone be enough or should they be supplementing with something else like, like acidophilus, which we hear about a lot? Yeah. So this is an interesting question. I'm uh, often ask, you know, every time I give a talk or an, or an, or an interview, this question comes up. Um, I, I, I would say this is a question about also about personalization. So some patients come to me and they, are, they have been taking a probiotic for a long time, as they say, that has really been very beneficial as they stay on it. It's beneficial for you, but there's variability. Not everybody responds to a probiotic, um, and that probably depends because everybody's gut microbiome is different. You know, we only share about 10% of our microbial strains with, with one another. Um, so it's not surprising that some people get benefits, others don't. It's not surprising that in a, in a, if you look at a controlled study, um, the effects are not significant because you have both people that don't respond and those that do respond. Um, in, in animals, this works really well. So in this chronic stress model, I mentioned to you earlier that we see a decrease in the bifidobacteria relative abundance. When these mice were given um, a, a probiotic to, to replenish the bifidobacteria, um, their, their stress symptoms and their anxiety um, decreased or disappeared. That unfortunately is not as clear cut in humans. You know, it's not, um, it doesn't work like an anxiolytic. Um, okay. But it's part of, you know, for me, this, this diet I recommend, um, largely plant-based, always contains naturally fermented products. I always recommend that. The greater the variety of these products um, is the, probably the better because you add more, um, a greater variety of, of, of bacteria from fermentation 
to your own gut microbiome. So that's my main recommendation. If you don't like any fermented foods or it's difficult to, to get them, um, yes, you may go to a probiotic supplement. That The answer to that, which one, um, you know, how many probiotic, how many microbes should be in the optimal combination, um, that remains to be determined. You know, it's not, um, there's, there's, there's no large-scale clinical trials, uh, well-controlled, um, that would allow us to give that, that answer. So I, I think it's on a, it's on a personalized level. I, you know, okay. I, so I guess the key takeaways would be to, for someone to know that there is very strongly a, a gut brain axis. They're not imagining it. it. It goes both ways. And to address your anxiety, you need a holistic approach and to, to address your gut issues. You know, you need a holistic approach of looking at, the lifestyle stuff, the cognitive stuff, and then, you know, drilling down into what you're feeding your gut and, and how and how you're shaping that microbiome, how you're influencing it day to day and focusing on the things that you can control when it comes to your, your gut health when so much of it seems predetermined for us. Would, would that be a way to round, round it off for, for a listener to take something away from this, from your advice that they can, you know, put into action? Yes, it is a holistic, it has to be a holistic approach or an integrated approach. Um, and I would say, I tell this every patient with, with either the anxiety or with, um, you know, IBS or similar kind of symptoms to deal with, with the mind. Um, and there's various techniques, some are easy, but there's many apps now on mindfulness-based stress reduction to focus on a diet, to design your own personalized optimal diet with ideally natural you know probiotics um, and then also there's other things like exercise we know exercise decreases uh, anxiety uh, as well and moderate exercise regular exercise has a beneficial effect on microbes as well so it's a it's always for me a, a lifestyle recommendation and always emphasizing uh, the emphasis on personalized and that you have the control um, and this concept of self-efficacy that that you learn to see your symptoms, see yourself not as a victim of your symptoms, but as a master of being able to control them. And, and that alone, that that mental shift will also have a beneficial effect on, on the brain gut microbiome axis. Brilliant. So that that's the gut brain connection and your your book that's out next week is the gut immune connection so by the time this episode comes out it'll be widely available around the world dr emran mayer thank you so much for your time and for your expertise um, and for distilling what can be very you know hard hitting overwhelming information scientific information to someone who just needs to know how they can make their life a little bit easier so i can't thank you enough for your time well thank you caroline uh, i'm always glad for opportunities to um to to share my knowledge on this Thank you. Thank you so much. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. 
Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. The easiest way to access Owning It Real Time is to head to the link in the episode description or episode details, whatever you call them, show notes. You will find the link in there at the top. You can sign up right away for Owning It Real Time and access the full library of 10 situation-specific audio guides that will help you own your anxiety even more than you've ever done before.